Well, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, yeah, you can clap for them. Come on, let's clap for the dads. If you're watching, happy Father's Day. I hope that you feel blessed and loved today. Since I have the microphone and I have my dad, um, I'm going to publicly say happy Father's Day to him. Um, my husband, Dan, and our children were at the first service. I, I feel so blessed in my life to be married to a wonderful dad who just is strong and sweet, and I am so blessed to have a great dad. Amen? Um, Pastor has consistently modeled um, the heart of the father for me and my brother and sister our whole life. Um, I, I didn't say this at the first service, but I, I, I was thinking of it. One thing that I always like sticks with me whenever Father's Day rolls around is my dad never goes anywhere without his Bible. And that means that sometimes it's like on the roof of the car when we're like going to, you know, things, you know, like it's always somewhere. Where's my, where's my Bible? Sometimes it's where's my keys, where's my glasses, but it's always where's my Bible. And he takes it with him everywhere. And that's just a tremendous um, lesson that, that you taught us and, and shared with us. I really, I appreciate it so much. And I think of it now as I lug my, my big Bible around, I, I've determined, thinking of that, I've determined to um, stop using my phone to read the Bible as much and carry my Bible to remind me and my children that we are indeed in the word. So I have a great father. I love him so much, but we also have a great shepherd, right? Um, pastor is a spiritual father. I feel him backing up. Come on. Um, he pastor is a spiritual father to many of us. I know that I feel so blessed to have him as my father and as my pastor and shepherd. So, um, we want to just, we tell you that we honor you and we're going to pray for you. Right? So if you would reach out your hand and just begin to um, pray in your own prayer language and just like, um, let's, let's flood heaven with prayers for our good shepherd. Jesus. Father, we thank, thank you, you. We love thank you, you so much, Lord. We love you so much. You are the best father ever, Lord. We thank you that you, God, you are just our perfect example for what a father should be. You blow out human fathers like you blow them right out of the water with your goodness. But we thank you for this man right here. I thank you for this godly father in my life, this godly grandfather that models your heart for us. Lord, I thank you for him and I pray blessings over him. And I thank you for this good shepherd who has answered the call on his life to lead your congregation, to lead your people, Lord. I pray that today on Father's Day, he will feel honored and blessed and highly favored to be chosen by you, Lord, and be led to lead us, Lord. We thank you for him. I thank you, Lord, for an abundance of new spiritual gifts to flood from heaven over his life. I pray, Lord, that this walk that is sometimes lonely, hard as he carries the burdens of his children and and grandchildren and his congregation, Lord. I pray that that burden will become light, that he will feel you with him, Lord. We thank you that in your word you say the righteous man walks with integrity and blessed are his children that follow after. I thank you, Father, for that blessing in my life and in my children's life, and I thank you for new life, that we get to walk in this man's shadow, Father. So I pray that while he feels the weight of that, he will feel the lightness that comes with it, knowing that he is called by you, Lord. He is chosen by you, and he, you have, he, you have, he has your ear, Lord. I thank you, Father. I pray that he will feel heard and seen today. I pray that you will pour out tremendous blessing and favor over him as he walks in a righteous path. We thank you, Lord. More, Father, more. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Stacy.
Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you, everybody, for your prayers. At this time, I want to uh, talk to our fathers, our dads that are here. We have a special video, and then we have a special presentation for you in just a few minutes. Let's watch the video now. are very special people, and uh, we honor all the dads today. I want to take a minute to honor my father, uh, Pasquale Pat Amendola. Uh, we have some pictures I want to show you. Uh, my father was born in 1924 and passed away in 2005. Uh, this is his wedding, the wedding picture. Uh, my dad was in the Navy during World War II, and he was stationed in, uh, in Tennessee, and at that time, after the war was just over, they had dances with all the people down there. And he, he met this young lady at the dance. And uh, four months later, that young lady became his wife. That's my mom and dad, his mother and father over there, and her mom and dad over there. And thus began a legacy in the Amendola family that's been very special. Uh, the other pictures, let's see, this is my mom and dad, probably, I think, in the late 80s, maybe mid-80s or late 80s. Uh, they were vacationing somewhere, but that is a great picture of my mom and dad. I'm so, so proud of them. My mom is still alive, as you know, living in New York, uh, 93, I believe, uh, in great health, by the way. And this is my father looking all, all dapper, wearing a tuxedo. The occasion was, see, my father was a saxophone player. He was a painting contractor by... Uh, by trade, but he always loved music. He played saxophone, uh, the different types of saxophones, and flute and clarinet since high school. He played saxophone his whole life 
And here he's getting ready to go to a big uh, music job down in New York City with, with uh, the big band sound of that, of that era, the Count Basie sound. And uh, he, loved, he loved his music, and he loved uh, getting dressed up to go special places to play his music. So my dad leaves a, a strong legacy for us of family and faith and a love for music and a love for sports. And I'll say this, my dad will always be in my heart. I cherish the memories we had, we've had together, and it'll always be in my heart. And with those thoughts, I, I think it's important to recognize the fathers in the church. Uh, so this morning at the early service, we had, we had a, a larger crowd, actually, at 9 o'clock, and we recognized the fathers. We want to recognize the fathers that are here, and we have a special gift for all the dads. Uh, so in case you don't know what our special Father's Day gifts are like, let me tell you that they're very creative and uh, very interesting. It's not a typical gift. For instance, our first Father's Day here was in 2008. I remember that because the speaker today was Brother Crabtree, who was the president of North Point Bible College. And that Sunday, we gave out pairs of brand new pairs of socks for all the fathers in the church. And the scripture reference was from, from Romans 10, how blessed are the feet of those that bring good news. And Brother Crabtree was so impressed with that whole thing, he teased me a long time about that. The year after, we gave out hardballs. I'm an old hardball player, but they weren't new hardballs. They were used hardballs. I searched high and low uh, different sporting goods stores to find used hardballs that were scuffed up and dirty. And we wrote a scripture on there from Mark chapter 8 that if, if you ever, whoever wants to follow the Lord must deny himself and take up his cross and follow after the Lord. And so it's time to play hardball. And we gave away all these hardballs. It was really very cool. One year we passed out little... Uh, little uh, Murph footballs and had a scripture, Second Peter, I think, or First Peter, I would get that mixed up. Uh, always be ready to give a defense of your faith. So we threw out the footballs from the podium. Last year, we gave out little bottles of Elmer's glue. And uh, the scripture reference was Hebrews 10.23, and I believe it must be the scripture that says to be steadfast, to not give up. And, and to stay, stay on track. We thought the glue would be symbolic of staying on track with the Lord. Anyway, so today we have a special gift for the men. So, Bill, if, you wanna, if you're a father, raise your hand. We want, we want to give you a, a gift today. The gift is a rock. It's a little stone. It's a very smooth, polished stone. And you'll also be receiving a scripture card. And there's three scriptures on the card. And let me just tell you what the scriptures are. Matthew 7... 24 and 25, that's a scripture where Jesus said, if you build your house upon the rock, when the storms come, your, your house will stand. So the rock represents Christ. So when you keep this little stone, put it in your pocket, put it on your desk, or put it in your car, or wherever, let it be a reminder that Jesus Christ is the rock. Amen? The second scripture is 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. You know the story when, when young David went to fight Goliath. He went down to the brook, and he put his hand in the water, got down to all fours, and was looking for some smooth stones that he could pull out of the brook that would become his weapons against Goliath. Let this stone be representative of the weapons that you have to defeat the enemy of your lives, namely the Word of God. And the third scripture is Matthew 16, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon this rock of your faith, 
I will build my church. So the rock represents our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the rock represents Christ, weapons, and faith. And so you have a little reminder card to, to keep with you in case you forget the references. Uh, it would be a really good idea to memorize those scriptures. And whenever you see that rock, to remember it represents Christ, weapons, and faith in the Lord. Amen. Let me say a prayer. Could all the dads stand up for a minute? Just stand up. I want to pray for you. Lord God, I want to pray for all the fathers here today. Lord, I, I, want, I pray, Lord, that they would feel special that they would feel loved and appreciated. I pray, Lord, that your touch would be upon them mightily, and not only today, but throughout the duration of their lives. May your touch be upon them. And Lord, may we endeavor to be the best dads ever, whether our kids are young or old, whether we have grandkids or not, let us be the best dads that we can be. And so we pray for them, Lord, that we will all follow after you and make an an impact impact and imprint upon our children and grandchildren. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So happy Father's Day, and may the Lord bless you all. All right, so take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. You may remember that throughout the month of June, we've been talking about relationships. That's our theme for the month, relationships. And, uh, the first week we talked about horizontal love. Then the second week we talked about uh, the power, uh, God's power to love. And those two messages really had to do with racial harmony, uh, harmony within different ethnic groups and so forth, uh, peace and love within the body of Christ. Uh, today's message will be... <laughs> thank you. Today's message will be a little bit different. Oh, it feels so good to take off that mask. I forgot to take it off. Well, it'll be a little bit different in that we're speaking about a Father's Day message. And I want to talk about a father's love and a relationship with his family and a father's love and relationship with his God. And our text is found in Luke chapter 8. So we're starting at verse number 41. Luke eight forty-one. Behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged about Jesus. Then the story picks up again in verse number 49. They were interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood, if you may remember. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But Jesus heard it and answered, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except for Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But Jesus said, Do not weep. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was indeed dead. But he put them all outside and took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, rise up. And her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished 
but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the simple simplicity, yet the power we see in your word right now. I pray, Lord, that you anoint me to proclaim and preach the word of God the way you want it to be proclaimed and preached. I pray, Lord, that every ear that will hear it, those here at the church, those listening by live stream, or those watching later on YouTube, later in the week, or whenever, Lord, that each one of us would be edified and built up because of your word today. And Lord, in the process of preaching, we pray that you would be glorified and you would be pleased with your people proclaiming the truths in your word. So have your way. Release your spirit, Lord, upon us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, hallelujah. Here we go. The role of a father, as you know, is very complex. It's probably more complex today than it has ever been in history. Fathers, there are some fathers that are uh, in a traditional marriage, that is, with one wife and kids for a lifelong relationship. There are some fathers that are divorced and remarried or married someone that was divorced previously. And so they may have kids and they may have stepkids that they're fathers to. There are some fathers that are fathers within a family setting without a marriage certificate. Uh, without a lifelong commitment to the mothers of their children. There are some fathers that are stepfathers, fathers to someone else's children. Some fathers are biological fathers. Some are adoptive fathers or legal fathers through, through some type of uh, marriage or uh, some type of legality. Some are fathers socially, and some are fathers biblically. It's been said, it's not hard to become a father. But it takes a real man to become a dad. Can I get an amen right there? Let me say it again. It's not hard to become a father, but it takes a real man to become a dad. I say it's not hard to become a father, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of heart and sometimes a lot of broken heart to become a real dad. Many fathers do not have a role model, did not have a role model to follow after. Many fathers today do not know that a lifelong commitment to their kid's mom is not only doable and honorable, it's enjoyable. And a generation ago and beyond, it was expected, although biblically it's still expected to be that way. In the age of social freedoms and sexual experimentation, In redefining roles, uh, the the role of parents in our culture uh, has become very complex. In 2020, most parents, whether they're married or not, but if you're a parent, find themselves working together uh, to make money enough to provide for the needs of the household. Many, many times both are employed, sharing the financial responsibilities, both raising the children, both planning activities, and both disciplining the kids. And with the rising role of women in the workplace, there continues to be many alterations in the role that a dad plays in the family setting. So a real dad, to be a real dad, one must, must have courage and faith and commitment. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not, being a dad is not for the faint of heart. Every emotion you could possibly deal with comes out in the role of being a father and a dad. 
I speak from experience now that I have grandkids. Every feeling, every emotion is tested and pulled out as we pour into other people's lives. And here's what I want to get to. That where we draw our strength from will determine what kind of father we are. Ephesians 2, I won't go to it right now, but in Ephesians 2, the first couple of verses... Paul writes about what it was like before we were in Christ, how we were still in our sins and we followed after our flesh and we followed the way of the world. And in that setting, we would follow the prince of the power of darkness of this world. And so for the dads, I want to say this. If you're operating in the flesh, you know, in your own wisdom, you will reap that in your children. If you're operating under the the power of the prince of the air, I call that under dark influences. Let me tell you what I mean. If you're operating as a father and there's things in your life that are dark, dark influences like alcohol or drugs or pornography or gambling or some type of deceitful, illegal behavior, those dark influences will somehow manifest within your children. But if you're, if you're operating under the banner of Christ, if Jesus is your guide and your source of strength, that will also be manifested in your children. So I've entitled the message today, Will the Real Dad Stand Up? And I don't want you to stand up right now, but I want you to stand up in our culture, in our society, in our families, stand up. Now let me, let me preface this also. I don't want to go into... The need for fathers. I mean, uh, there's so many social studies and so many things that we could draw from. You know, crime rates among people without a father and so on and so forth. Broken homes, etc. And there are many fathers here today. Many are not fathers here today. Many of you listening today may not be fathers. But what I, this is important for the church to proclaim. That fatherhood is important. And motherhood is important. I want to take this opportunity to preach about fatherhood. Whether you're a dad or not, it's important for you to know what the Word of God says about being a father. You may have influence on somebody else. You may have children that need to know whatever. You may have relatives that need to know what does the Bible have to say about being a father. So this message hopefully will answer some of those questions. So the backdrop for Luke chapter 8. You know, I, I've been lately appreciating chapters at a time. I said the other day, Romans chapter 8 is just a fantastic chapter. Oh, my goodness. There's so much in Romans 8. It'll take you months to really digest the whole thing if, if you get into it. But Luke chapter 8 is not bad either. It's a very, very busy chapter. Uh, in this chapter, uh, we see Jesus is teaching. He's traveling. He's dealing with multitudes. Uh, he crossed over the Sea of Galilee. You probably know the story when the storm came and everyone was so upset in the boat and they were, you know, he, they were worried and he was sleeping and he came out and he stilled the water and everything was okay. And when he got to the other side, he, he was going over there for a little rest and relaxation and he, he gets over there and he meets the, the demoniac of Gadarene that's cutting himself in the cemetery. He's just filled with demons, and, and Jesus deals with him and sets him free. Then he gets on the boat and comes back over to the other side. And in verse 40, there's a multitude awaiting for him. But in verse 41, the story begins of Jairus. And somehow Jairus, all we know is three things about Jairus in verse 41. He's a ruler of the synagogue, he's a dad, and his daughter is dying. 
And so the story goes that he cries out for Jesus' help. Jesus agrees to go with him to his home. While Jesus is going to his home, he's interrupted by this woman with the issue of blood. Who touched the hem of my garment? So he deals with that woman and, and all that's going on with the, the crowds pressing in on him. And uh, in verse 49, we read that in the meantime, someone from, the, from Jairus' home comes back to where he was and says, listen, don't even come. Tell the teacher not to even come. Your daughter died. It's a lost cause. He doesn't even have to come anymore. Well, Jesus kind of rebukes that idea in verse 50. And he does go. Jairus goes with him. Peter, James, and John are with him. And he prays for the little girl who had died. And she comes back to life. And in verse number 56, everyone was amazed at what had happened. But can I tell you, there's some great lessons in this story for fathers. Tremendous lessons. So first of all, I want to give you three observations of what we see in this story. The first thing is that it was the dad who sought God's help. In verse 41, it says, He fell down, he begged Jesus for help. And may I say, somebody has got to pray for the children. And never underestimate the power of a praying father or a praying mother. Jairus was desperate, beside himself, frantic for something something to happen to his daughter that was on her deathbed. He loved her enough to run after Jesus to figure out what to do about her problem. And he wasn't concerned about social etiquette at that time. It says he fell down and he begged Jesus. He's got a 12-year-old girl with a whole life in front of her and she's dying and he doesn't care what anybody has to say. He's running after Jesus. And in verses 49 and 50, even when the girl died, he's still hanging on to Jesus for an answer to the problem. Even in verses 52 and 53, when the people's opinion goes up and down, first they're weeping, then they're ridiculing Jesus because he has hope for the girl. Jairus is still with the Lord, trusting. And what I'm saying is, fathers, men, we've got to be praying for our children. Someone's got to pray for our children. In this case, it was the dad. Second observation is this. And you know this this verse, with God, all things are possible. Now, we we hear that many times in the Bible. One time is in Luke chapter 1, when Mary says to the angel, how can I be pregnant? I've never known a man. And the angel says, with God, all things are possible. It comes up again in Matthew 19 when Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than than for a rich man to accept Christ and salvation. And Peter says, well, how can they get saved then? Who can get saved? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So when God moves upon rich or poor, it doesn't matter, they have the opportunity to get saved. So I see this principle at play In Luke chapter 8, in verse number 49, the girl died. And in verse number 50, Jesus hears the news and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, do not fear. And why did he say that? I always go back to these reasons why Jesus said certain things or why somebody said something in the Bible. Well, apparently Jairus was fearful. His daughter just died. He was probably shaken to the core. And Jesus reads him like a book and says, Jairus, don't fear, don't be afraid. 
Believe. In spite of what you see, believe in me. And everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be all right. She's going to be made well. And to his credit, he continues on with Jesus. But you know what? Here's the thing. There are many of us today that have family situations that look like they're dead. And it looks like things are over. Sometimes we have relationships with our kids or our stepkids. And we think the relationships are broken. We think there's a dead relationship. Sometimes there's a, a major sin issue in, the fa- in our families. And we think there's no hope. There's no way to get out of this problem. Sometimes we think that we've totally blown it as a father, as a dad. But can I tell you something, church? With God in the picture, even though we may be dead in some ways, with God in the picture, there's always life and hope and meaning and possibilities and rebirth and redemption. That's the kind of God that we serve. The point is, with God, all things are possible. The point is, stay with God. I would not want to be a father without God in my corner. It's too crazy. Or a grandfather. I don't know how some people do. I, don't, I would not want to even live life without God, uh, you know, without me on God's side. So Jairus reminds us to put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. Comes right after that passage. Give it up to the Lord. He will provide somehow, some way. Romans 8.28 is a great scripture. We looked at it on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. All things work together for those who love God and are called, work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, when we give it to God, with God in it, whatever happens is going to be all right because God is in control of it. Our job is to just give it over to the Lord. The third observation is this. Then we're going to get into some more practical application in a minute. But the third observation is this. Jesus always makes time. I don't know about you. Sometimes it crosses my mind. Lord, are you hearing me? Lord, are you too busy? Lord, are you you walking that way instead of this way? Lord, am I missing you? But I have to remind myself, Jesus always, always, always hears our prayers. Look at chapter 8, verse number 1. It says, um, Jesus went through every city and every village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Boy, that was some time in history. Jesus himself is preaching the kingdom of God. Verse number 4 says that great multitudes came around to be with him. Verse number 19, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers, they came. They could not even approach him because of the crowds that were around him. In verse number 40, when Jesus came back from uh, delivering the demoniac, it says that the multitude welcomed him back. In that setting, Jairus is there. And in verse number 42, the multitudes throng around Jesus even at that point, at that time. But the point is that Jesus is never too busy for us. He waits for our voice. He waits for our hearts to cry out. He waits for our sincerity, and he always hears, always takes our concerns into consideration. And I don't know, I don't know one area that's more closer to God's heart than the area of family. And for fathers to cry out to God for their family is very precious. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest 
I'll give you peace. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come, come be around me. Get yoked up with me. And there are some fathers today that feel absolutely overwhelmed with the responsibilities. I know that. But when we give it to God, when we give it over to the Lord, you know, God allows things to happen a certain way. So those are the observations that it was a dad that came forward. You know, it, it, with God, all things are possible. And, and we need to continue to trust God. He's never too busy for us. I think the opposite might be true, actually. We're probably too busy for God. Sometimes we're too busy to even pray and really wait upon the Lord. So I, I love this story of, of Jairus. I think it's a great story. I see him in verse number 51. Uh, at the bedside of his sick daughter with his wife. And it's telling me that Jesus threw everybody else out except for Peter, James, and John, and, and Jairus and his wife, telling me that they were people of faith. And they're trusting Jesus. So, will the real dads please stand up? What I mean is, if you want to be a real dad, this is what you would have to do. Number one, Number one, fathers, take responsibility for your family. You know, my dad, Pat, was a really great man. My dad was very popular. Uh, he raised four children. Uh, my mom had a few miscarriages. My father always kept our family together. My father was, uh, was a Cub Scout leader. He was a little league coach. Uh, he was my biggest uh, cheerleader on the, on the football team. Uh, he went to every game. He was known as a supporter of the athletes at that time. He was a good man. My father was a good man. But can I tell you, from the time I was born until the time I went to college, at 18 years of age, my father made sure me and my two brothers and my sister went to church every single Sunday. That was my father's doing. You got to go to church. And he would drive us to church every single week, 18 years of going to church. And he never talked bad about the priest or the pastor, never talked bad about God or the church. I never heard my father curse. I never saw my father drunk. I never saw my mother and father argue. Never. Uh, my father uh, was, was a rock in my family. When my brother, Joey, was killed in a car accident at 19 years of age, I was 16. My other brother was 21. My sister was probably 10 or so. Tragic situation. I mean, gut-wrenching situation. My father and my mother held our family together. I, I, my testimony is during that time, many families have problems and they separate. They, they, they leave or they get whatever. That brought my family together. That's my mom and dad's doings. I don't know how it happened, but that day of my brother's accident, February 4th, 1968, we had a call at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and we had this news. My brother was killed in a car accident. We were like panic-stricken. Later that morning, my dad somehow made arrangements for me to go to church that day. It was a Sunday. He called a family friend, Angelo Chandra, and uh, Angelo came and picked me up and brought me to church. 
Even on the day that my brother died, I was in church. I didn't really want to go, but that's what we did in those days. And I learned from all those different experiences that it's so important for the father. I mean, moms can do it, but fathers are so important to take the lead in these things. My mother was great too, by the way, I'm not saying. But my father was the man of the house for sure. I read in the scriptures like in 1 Peter that we're called to be, we're we're called into a royal priesthood. No, you won't get a collar and you won't wear a gown. But we're called into a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1 says that we are kings and priests. We're priests. And in chapter 8 of, of Luke in verse 41, I love this phrase. There came a man named Jairus. Behold, there came a man named Jairus. He didn't send his wife. He didn't send the older kids in the family, or if he had any. He didn't send his relatives. He didn't send his servants. He didn't send his neighbors. He went by himself to find Jesus. Fathers, we've got to take responsibility. It may take wrestling with God. You know what I mean by wrestling with God? When you don't get your answer, you got to wrestle. you got to fight. you gotta, you got to be steadfast and run after God. We see him all by himself, and many times we will have to... Our, 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 biggest, our biggest testimonies and our biggest victories will be when we're alone with God. Believe me when I tell you. But we see him here, you know, uh, as a person of influence... He's a ruler of the synagogue. He has some status in the community, some social status, some religious status. He's got responsibilities before God and before the community. And I see in verse 41, he could care less about what people thought of him. He fell down probably on his face and was beseeching Jesus, come to my house, come to my house. No pride, no shame, no, it doesn't look right. Just I need your help. And this is what happens many times in the Christian community. And tell me if if this doesn't bear witness with you. In our circles of being born again, evangelical, Pentecostal people, we've seen God do tremendous works of salvation. Absolutely tremendous works of salvation. We rejoice with with many who have received Christ. But if I've seen it once, I've seen it a hundred times. Someone who's now with the Lord for a year, year and a half, they feel a little good about themselves now. They feel, you know, proud. They're, they're not doing what they used to do. And it's good. It's, it's good testimony. And they, they start to tell other people how to pray, how to worship, how to study the Bible, how to, you know, how important church is and uh, how important it is to evangelize and, and, and present your testimony to people. But in reality, they stop doing that. Now they're the expert and they tell everyone else what to do, but they don't do it. You'll never see them at the altar asking for prayer. No, they're above that now. But what I see with Jairus was he could care less. He's on his face beseeching Jesus, come to my house, my daughter is dying. And what I'm saying is, God is looking for fathers that will get beyond this whole attitude of being mightier than now. And stay as humble as you were when you first got saved. And beseech God for for his touch upon your family and upon your children. Jesus is still looking for a man. Verse 41, behold, there came a man named Jairus. I love that. There came a man named Jairus. Jesus is still looking for a man with your name on it. 
He's still looking for someone to come with a burden and a passion. Oh, God, help my children. Ezekiel 22 says the same thing. The Lord is looking for someone to stand in the gap. Jairus was falling down, pleading, Jesus. He's taking responsibility for his family. Scripture says, husbands, love your wives. It's not a suggestion, although it might be a suggestion for some of us sometimes. Continue to love your wives. Scripture says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't push their buttons. You know how they are. You know what they can't stand. You know when you aggravate them. Don't push their buttons. Because you know them so well. You know how to get under their skin and probably vice versa. But don't you push their buttons. Don't provoke them to anger. Love them. Nurture them. Take care of them. He says to the men, become a priest in your home. So Jairus, I I feel like he gives us an example that we men have to take responsibility for our families. And notice in verse 40 and 42, there's multitudes. He didn't just have a stroll in the park and say, Jesus, I need your help. He had to work at getting to where Jesus was. In verse 52 and 53, when public opinion started to waver, well, they, they believe, they, they don't believe, they ridicule Jesus. Listen, fathers, people will ridicule us day after day, left and right, without fail. Are we going to be swayed by the opinions of those in the world, those, even in our own families sometimes? But Jairus was determined, and he was steadfast. He did not waver. I love this story. It's a great example of how to be, how to aspire to be a father in this day and age. Let me say one more thing before I move on to the next point. I want to encourage the dads. You may be listening at live stream or maybe here. You may be listening two weeks from now on YouTube. But I want to tell the fathers, the dads out there, don't be afraid to make the mother of your children your wife. Don't be afraid to make a lasting covenant with her for the rest of your life. God will help you with that. You must love the mother of your children. Now, let me say something else. Because there's some situations where that is not possible for various reasons. But if there's a, a, a mother and a father of a child that are estranged, that father has an obligation to present to their kids something good about their mother. She's got to be respected and honored, even though they may not be able to live together, and there may be, she may be married again or whatever. There may have been great sin in the camp. However, for the child's sake, good things must be said about their mother by the father. This is very important. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, To avoid the very appearance of evil. So whatever you have to do, men of God, fathers... Take care of the spiritual climate and atmosphere in your family. So number one, if we want to be a real dad, we'll take that spiritual responsibility of our family. Here's number two. Jairus invited Jesus into his home. If we want to be a real dad, a real Christian dad, We've got to invite Jesus into our homes. Last week I spoke a little bit about 
how Cornelius the Gentile invited Peter the Jewish Christian into his home, and what a big deal that was for a Jew and Gentile to fellowship in someone's home. But in that home, Cornelius heard the gospel and received salvation and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Glorious things happened at home. But in verse 41, I see Jairus is falling on his face, begging, pleading with Jesus. Jesus, come to my house. Come to my house. You see, it's one thing to get cleaned up and come into the house of the Lord and to look good. It's one thing to go to Bible study, go to the prayer meeting, cleaned up, make an impression on people. It's a whole other ball game to have Jesus come into your home where the real you really is, where the action is, where you let your hair down and you reveal who your true character really is. Am I making sense to anybody? See, it's one thing to go along and have a great presentation out there in the world, and we should do that. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But it's another thing to come home and live a whole different kind of a life. So Jairus is inviting Jesus to his house. Why? Because there's trouble at home. There's death waiting at home. There's, there's sickness at home. And there are many of us here, and maybe some that are viewing, that have there have been words of death that have been spoken at home. You'd never say them publicly. Never. But at home, you're more free to be you. When you, you, let the, you let your nature out and you say things you don't mean and you, you hurt people, you kill people with your words and your thoughts and your negativity and there's sin at home. Here, Jairus exposed his private home to the king of kings. And let me throw in something else. When you have little children, you know what I'm talking about. They don't miss a trick. You might think, oh, they don't know. They know. Well, I'm really good outside. Great. But I'm a tyrant at home. They know. They see that. They're learning how to be a hypocrite. They're learning how to be a fake Christian. So something has to be done to correct that. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. But if there's failure, there's got to be repentance. There's got to be a sense of, you know, turning to God and making it right. But anyway... When I read the Bible, there's several, several little stories about how Jesus went to somebody's home. I, I never really caught that before. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus goes to Peter's home to bring healing to Peter's mother-in-law. I think that's kind of cool. In Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee where a woman comes in with an alabaster flask and she cleans his feet with her tears and puts oil on his feet. In somebody's home. In Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus is inside the house, and the paralytic comes with his friends carrying him, and they make a hole in the roof to drop him down so the man could come into the house where Jesus was. And in Luke 19, I, one of my favorite stories, the story of, of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come on out of the tree. You know, I want to I dine with you today at your house. I want to come in. I want to be part of your life. I want to get intimate with you. And Jesus is saying to us today, I want to be personal with you. I want to have a personal relationship. Not just a, I don't want it to look good on the outside and have it rotten on the inside. I want to take care of the outside and the inside. But Jairus invited Jesus into his home. Revelation 3 tells us, Jesus speaking to the church actually, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you open up the door of your heart, this is speaking to the church, I'll come into your home and dine with you. 
So yeah, the Lord's speaking uh, to me about this. It's one thing to have a public test, uh, public ministry, and, and and be you know all that. It's a whole other thing to do it when no one's looking and no one's around. Joshua twenty four fifteen. Joshua said it best. As for me and my home, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And let me just say, I don't know any home that's perfect. None. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about honesty. I'm talking about, you know, if there's failure, there's repentance. I'm talking about praying together, seeking God together. I'm talking about parents explaining what's going on to the kids. Because if, if we don't explain to them, they're going to develop their own logic as to what's going on. And that could be difficult. It would be better for the parent to explain what's going on so the child knows without their own thoughts in it. Are you with me? Are you with me on live stream? I hope so. Here's number three. If you want to be a real dad, you've got to entrust your children and your families to the Lord. Absolutely. The thing about Jairus in verses 49, 50, 51, even after they got the bad report, the news was the daughter died. Jairus did not pack up and say, okay, Jesus, I'll see you later. He still entrusted the girl into the Lord's hands. He still entrusted his life into the Lord's hands. How many of us have difficulties with our kids or our grandkids, and we get discouraged and we say, that's it, I, I, I can't even pray anymore. Ah, I think we're, we're hearing a different story here, even with bad news. The word that Jesus spoke to him in verse 50 was, listen, Jairus, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid, but don't be afraid. I know you're doubting, but don't doubt. Believe. I know you're worried about your daughter. You think she's gone, but she's going to be all right. And Jairus, in verse 51, he continues walking with Jesus. I think that's amazing. He had faith. He gave his family to Jesus. And he was not going to leave the scene just because of some bad news. I like verse 51 when Jesus said, everyone, get out. All the naysayers, get out. I only want people of faith. Peter, James, John, Jairus, his wife. And they're trusting in Jesus. How many times do we hear this about our kids or our grandkids or about ourselves? Maybe, maybe we say this to ourselves. It's too late. I blew it already. I blew it 20 years ago. I blew it five years ago. I, I, I left such a scar. My kids are too bad. I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. They're too far gone. But can I tell you something, church? When faith arises, when faith rises up, when hope rises up, when God arises, great things happen. Great things happen. Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes in my understanding, I write off half of what I'm praying about. But I can't lean on my own understanding. I've got to lean on the, the Word of God, what God says about it. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we want to be godly dads, we need to entrust 
our kids and our family to the Lord and keep entrusting them to the Lord. Keep going, keep believing, keep doing what we know to do. One of the most important things to do is to stay in the Word of God. 1 John 5.13 says, John was writing, he said, these things I'm writing to you that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. These things I'm writing, I'm writing to you. You've got the Word of God that you'll continue to believe. Even when your kids are doing all the bad, worst things you could think of. Even when there's sickness in the family. These things are written that you'll continue to believe. And continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. These things are written to, so that you'll believe and continue to believe when all hell breaks loose in your family. Going back to my father, you know, my mom had some miscarriages, difficult time. My brother's killed in a car accident, 19 years old, difficult time. You know, different issues going on in the family. I put my parents through a lot of heartache in my younger years, unnecessarily, but in my rebellion, broke my father's heart. But he was steadfast. He was steadfast. And I'm sure he prayed for his family. I want to close with a couple of scriptures. And I don't have time to preach on them, but when I think of Happy Father's Day, I think of Father's Day passages. Three, well, including this one, additional three come to mind. One is in Luke chapter 15. We know it as the the story of the prodigal son, but really... It's the story of the prodigal son's father. So if you don't have a mentor, you, don't, you never had a father, you don't know how to be a dad. These are the examples in the word of God. That prodigal son's father represents our heavenly father. But that's who we are instructed to emulate and, and copy and, and, and model our parenting skills after. When that boy came home, you know the story. There was no... <laughs> There was no anger, no hatred towards his son for what he did. But there was love, there was acceptance, there was joy, there was relief that the boy came back home again. That's a picture of our Heavenly Father's love. And that is exactly how we are called to minister to our children. 1 Thessalonians 2.11, Paul wrote, You know how we were when we came to you, we, we treated you like we were your father. We exhorted you, we comforted you, and we charged you like a father does. So if people don't know what a father does, here's a good example. A father will exhort his children, encourage. He'll comfort them. He won't provoke them. He'll comfort them. And he'll charge them, challenge them to go forward and do great things in their lives. In 1 Corinthians 4, in, in these, these passages are definitely preachable passages. You know, we could take a whole message on these. But in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, look, you got a lot of teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And that's how it is. A lot of teachers, not a lot of fathers. So there's a difference between a teacher and a father. A teacher will give you facts and, you know, teach you the Bible. But a father will mentor and love you through difficult times. And Paul says, you know what? I am your father through the gospel. 
So he's, a, he's saying, I'm a spiritual father to you. And I, I want to say, I've gotten so many Happy Father's Day texts from people in the church that are calling me their spiritual dad. That blesses me so much. But everyone has that anointing or that role. You can be, you should be a spiritual father for somebody as you go along in this life. So, will the real dads stand up and make a difference in your family? Amen? I'm going to ask everyone to stand together, and uh, I'm going to ask that we, that we say this scripture together as we get ready to close out in prayer. I want to pray for the dads. I want to pray for everybody. But two, uh, one, one Thessalonians, is it one, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 2.11, it says, and I want you to repeat this with me, as you know, as you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father does his own children. Let's say it again. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father does his own children. Let's say it one more time. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father does his own children. And so now I exhort you. I comfort you. I charge you. Keep following Jesus. Fathers, run after Christ. Let Jesus be the Lord of your life and the Lord of your home. Keep going. Keep going. This is what a spiritual father will do. Encourage and bless. And when no one's looking, he'll be praying for you. And that's what we need to do with our kids. Amen. So good to see some children here today. Hallelujah. Uh, there were some at the early service as well. Um, so good. So good. Hi. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, every head bowed for just a moment. Hi, Daisy kids. Let's uh, every head bowed for just a moment. I, I just want to ask to the fathers, are there any dads here that have a special burden after the, well, that, that was just said? You feel a special burden to step up to the plate and be the man and the father, the dad, that God wants you to be. Anyone like that? My hand is up. I'm preaching to myself today. Okay. And I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but I wonder if there's other people here that have been hurt by fathers, or the father of your children has not been a good father, and there's been difficulty because of that. We want to pray for that as well. So let's pray. Father, Lord God, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is always good for us. But especially on this day, Lord, we see some biblical teaching about the role of a, of a dad. Lord, I pray for all the fathers in our church that we would aspire, and in spite of where we've come from and what we've come out of, let us aspire to be the best fathers, the best dads that we could be. Lord, there are several here today, and probably many at home, that have burdens. They're concerned about their kids and maybe finances, maybe health, maybe the path their kids are taking, or their grandkids. But we pray for the dads to be steadfast, and we exhort them, we, we encourage them, we, we comfort them, we charge them to stay close to Jesus. And Lord, let the fathers of this church make a difference. We pray, Lord, for others in the church family that, that could tell us stories of how their fathers or the, or the, the father of their children was not a good, a good person. And they brought much pain and much heartache to the family. We pray, Lord, for healing 
in restoration of those that were hurt. We pray for those that have been abusive to come to know you and to be healed of their issues and to, be, and to turn it around, to, to take on the mantle of being a godly man and a godly father. Lord, we pray for others in the church that aspire to be fathers. They're not yet, but they want to be. We pray that they would be prepared to be the best dads possible. And Lord, for any fathers that are not in a committed relationship and are not, uh, not in a situation to speak well of their mother's children, we pray that you would work in those situations and bring healing and wisdom and guidance to know how to make it better. So Lord, we give it all to you. I pray for the real dads to stand up and be counted and to make a difference in their homes, on their jobs, and in their church. I thank you for this and pray blessings over everybody. In the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.